Welcome to the next episode of Splitting Cases. We feel like, you know, we've peaked a little early. We've been here for a little while chatting about an amazing topic, which we'll... we'll I'm sure we'll get to. We'll get to. We'll edge toward, but we'll work with her, you know, probably more official public title for now. <laughs> Peter Dampney, Peter Woods, Peter Cuba. She goes by many names, but she many is... Names. Uh, Peter from Movie Time, and uh, that is a ABC radio segment. When she has, you know, very humbly said, I'm a volunteer movie reviewer, this woman gets free movies all the time, yeah. and she gets to talk about them. Yeah, That's I get paid good. in kind, so it's pretty good. It's a pretty good deal. Not dissonant at all whatsoever. What are the perks of your job, Pointy? On you splitting to- cases? Yeah. I get to have beer and talk to people and go into their houses. And Which find it out doesn't sound weird stories. at all. I get to have beer and go into people's houses. <laughs> I mean, so I'm with their permission. <laughs> yeah, most of the time, with their permission. Most of the time, they most know about the it. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel the reason we're not going to reveal your official title just yet mm-hmm. is because I feel it works into the subject. Yeah. Tonight, yeah. it kind of does, and it sort of explains why this is one of your mm. your expert topics. Really does. <laughs> uh, I, I'm still coming to terms with it, to be it's honest. A, I thought, I'm just so impressed. I wish I was. No, nope, uh, we'll get there in a minute. Yeah. Okay. What's your expert topic on splitting cases? My expert topic is Baz Luhrmann films. Baz Luhrmann films, which I've discovered, Pointy has seen none of. What? Well, uh, I don't know that I've seen none. I've seen parts of some, but I just. I do feel like a bit of a cultural idiot for not seeing them. Like, I know that they're well put together. Mm-hmm. This movie time is waving movie. Arguably. Yeah, like I have the catalogue. You know, like I feel like I'm about to get hit head. by yeah, these, like, these DVDs. It's just like but, I'm holding the bi- the Baz Bible. The Baz Bible. I, I just feel like I... It was one of those things where I missed at the time. Because you're in a cave? And, well, no. I think I was too young when Strictly Ballroom came out. Mm-hmm. And then by the time probably Romeo and Juliet came out, I was probably like late high school. Mm-hmm. And where I grew You're up, saying that like holding back this just <laughs> no, no. This anger. <laughs> I just I like, I'm like yes, we will deconstruct these excuses oh, well, later and render them. It invalid. was just where I grew up. It wasn't a good idea to be into mm-hmm. okay. those sort of movies as right. a dude, like. So I probably just didn't see it because of that at the time, not out of any particular disinterest. Okay. And then it just passed me by. All right, I'm I'm putting the Baz Bible down. Yeah, I, so, I've passed that test. Yeah, I haven't completely that. failed. Yeah, that's okay. But it's one of these things. It's like I don't yeah. dis like how I don't dislike them. I can't dislike something that I haven't really watched. Okay. Yeah. But um. So what are you familiar with out of the Baz Bible? Oh well, like I get the general gist. Well, obviously I get the gist of Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. Um, Original but screen. I think you were saying though that <laughs> it was like curriculum for you, like at yeah. Australian schools. We That's never got mm. that. We had to watch some shitty version of Macbeth. Everyone I know watched like, like I mean, I do, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, I mean, I do prefer do. Macbeth. Like it's a great story. But I think we're like we're already talking about you know Shakespeare film adaptations. Mm. We're way ahead of ourselves. Yeah. The reason that I think your official title. Mm-hmm. works so well mm-hmm. with Baz Luhrmann is because even starting with Strictly Ballroom mm-hmm. 
The Pageantry. Yes. Your Miss Morissette 2001. Yes. I mean, exclusive, podcast exclusive. It's never been really out on even ABC before. Oh, you're well, kidding me. No. You've been you've been recognised in the street as Miss Morissette 2001 yeah. before. Yeah. And we have the sashes here to prove yeah. it. We have the sashes. Yeah. So, so just to clarify, mm-hmm. if you're not from Newcastle, Morissette is a place on sort of... The outer edges of Newcastle and the central coast, kind of where that line. And we mean that geographically, not. Yeah, <laughs> not geographically. Not outer edges of civilization. It's not a state of mind. Or society or nothing. Yeah, yeah. And um, as part of being Miss Morissette, I found out you have to go through many stages, answer mm-hmm. many questions, mm-hmm. and uh, you get to, in the final stage, wear a gown. And then drive around in a car at the show and wave, wave at people with a glove. It's very regal. And then yeah. wearing your own sash, crown best dog in show. Yeah. This just pretty much just sounds like my perfect day. You replace dog with pig, and yes. <laughs> well, I think I think nothing cutesy would prefer the pig. I'd, I'd, I'd I'm like sure to sash you'd the enjoy dog. both. I would enjoy yeah. both, but I'd love to sash the dog. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we were so impressed. We wanted the whole podcast to be about this. Yeah, pretty much. Like this is just <laughs> scrap the Baz Bible. No, we'll get back to the Baz Bible. This is just like the the, the this rough is the juice minor notes. Yeah. I feel like this is a really big, you know, in depth therapy session because I never saw the link between Miss Morissette's role in my life and my persona to my, you know, Baz. Obsession. Well, let's let's go straight into Strictly Ballroom for that yeah. because that entire thing is about the pageantry and mm-hmm. how, like, when you look at it, like, do you know what Strictly Ballroom is about? Dancing. Dancing. Do you want to explain the plot of Strictly Ballroom? So basically, we have Fran, who is amateur, mm-hmm. who is an amateur dancer, and we have Scott, who is played by Paul Mercutio, uh, who you might recognise from. The Bonds ads. He used to dance around. He's like, "Oh, there's not much ballroom and all that kind of oh jokes and stuff God. like that." I remember that all I the time I was as well. So original because I was running around going, "He should make underwear with like really baggy underwear called Strictly Ballroom." Yep. So Bonds just exploited that to the wow. team with the singlets and everything around at the time. So, so Fran and Scott are brought together because Scott he dances inappropriately or not to regulation at the Grand Prix. He dances Prix. his own steps. He dances his own steps. He dances steps. to the beat of his own drum. Exactly. And challenges the conventions that are so tightly held by, you know, ballroom dancing. And so Fran says, I want to dance with you at the Grand Prix Championships She says, I want to way. dance with you. Yeah. I want to dance with you your way. Your, your way. steps. Your way. And there's a real kind of bit of beautiful music that so goes with that really emphasizes that the rebel rock and roll dancer he's yeah like, he's like yeah. the golden it's really establishment he's down like, we can I do want, this yep, I want to be a rebel I want to be more passionate than yep. what is stuffy beyond okay. the steps yep. okay. can't do new steps can't do new steps no new steps no new steps it's so rigid yep and like there's like there's so much competition and oh god yeah. and his family is so pressuring because they're former ballroom dancers yeah. and the costumes and the intensity that goes into mm-hmm. because it was his year it was his year it was Scott's year it was his year it was his year yeah. Oh, and then um, we're Tina... quoting by the film. Of the I, film I, by that I, I when we that. Do... either that or I thought you were both about to have a stroke. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and it was like. <laughs> 
or just something happened to the chair. And then he rehearses so. with oh, Fran okay. in you secret. Can, you can move to that chair if there's Actually, issue. I think it was my fault because I just okay. sort of went. That's all right. It is a bit bung, that chair. You got really excited about Street yeah. Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to dance. Yeah. 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 Uh, you can dance like, with the chair. Yeah. He practices to Fran in secret and Fran starts looking more pretty and she takes off her glasses and her skin clears yeah. up and it's an ugly duckling story. And then... So it's like the ending of Grease where a little like, bit. Sandy's yeah. like, whoa, I'm the new me. Yeah, yeah. I've changed everything about myself yeah. for my man. And the motto is... A That's life lived in, ha- in fear is a, a life, life half-lived. Half Oh, like we won't reveal any more for fear of spoilers for Aaron because I don't think you can spoil stop, for fear of point yeah <laughs> for fear of spoilers for pointy. I don't know if you can spoil a movie that came out in 1992. Yeah, but I feel like you need to watch these movies. Yeah. I I will watch them, but I don't think that. Like knowing what happens is going to take anything away. Anyway, that's the general plot. Have you even seen? Have you seen the famous scene with the giant Coke sign in, in King's Cross? I, I've seen the giant Coke sign in King's Cross. Like, but that was myself. like a big famous scene where they dance in front of the Coke sign. Yeah, no, to flamenco yeah. music. Is, and... is that the movie that the that they did the re-recorded version of? John Paul Young. Yes. 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 So I do remember and that. And it's though. so yes. topical because John Paul Young was in this year's um, Dancing with the Stars. I, I really and thought you were going to say Miss Morrison. <laughs> you were hoping. He you would were be like, the best oh, judge for that. <laughs> he would be so <laughs> he good. And he danced to that oh, song really? in the competition. And it was, oh I mean, God. he was terrible. Yeah. But it was just like, oh, oh bless love. him. Love, yeah. love, love. Oh, my gosh. So he danced to that. And so that was a very, yeah, very nice moment. And they, apparently that also the reason that that was in there, apparently, well, apart from it being an amazing song, um, Ted Albert, like the guy who formed Albert's, like co-produced that movie. Oh, really? Yeah, and died during the making of it of a heart attack and his family decided to continue putting up the money for the movie. Mm. Yeah. And the woman who actually played Scott's mum, so yeah. the character Shirley Hastings, she died only like a couple of weeks or months after the film. Mm. And, you know, it... And Baz Luhrmann says, you know, it's a tragedy that she didn't actually get to see that her role on film and for audiences to come to appreciate her so much because she's amazing yeah. in that film. Oh, my God. Everybody is amazing in yeah. that film. And it's a who's who of, like, reality TV and lifestyle TV yeah. hosts. Yeah. I mean, you know, Sonia Kruger. Sonia Kruger playing Tina Sparkle. Yeah. And, um, Todd um, McKenney. Todd McKenney, her partner um, retires. You have Tara Morris, who's been yeah. in subsequent Baz Luhrmann films. Yeah. You've got Paul Mercutio, who has done, yeah. you know. It's basically the reason what, that we can thank, you know, um, Dancing with the Stars, which isn't yeah. necessarily a great thing to thank for, but it is the reason why that show exists. Yeah. Um, Whatever happened yeah. to the guy who played, who was the guy that was the, the so white-haired I'm, dude that was drunk on the dance floor? Oh, um, he's done stuff. But yeah, I can't remember what stuff. his name is. And Barry yeah, Fife. Barry Fife, who uh, was played by Bill Hunter. Yes. And who, when I went to see Priscilla on stage, the musical, like he reprised his role in that as well. But I was just going, oh my God. Like he walked past me, looked at me, and I was just awestruck. So I smiled Barry and was just Fife. like, it's Barry Fife. And just was like, yes. and he nodded and he gave me this kind of like nod and smile and went, and then kept walking. And I was just like, Oh my God, Barry yeah, Fife just acknowledged me. Yeah. So, oh my God. So yeah. are Fran and Scott? Yes, the leads. So are they like 
love interests as well or just dancing parties? Well, they become love interests. Because of the sexy dancing they're doing. Because she starts to fall for him and he's like, no, the dancing, we're just supposed to pretend we're in love. We're supposed to make it feel like we're in love. And then later on in the movie, he's like, you know how I said that we're supposed to pretend we're in love? I think it's not pretend anymore. And she's like, ah, and then he has to run because he's got to go and teach. Um, what's the redhead dude? Um, Is Mark something? Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, Ma- he has to go yeah. and teach him the Bogo Pogo. Fingers, Clarice. Yes. But it turns out that it's she's, like the Bogo Pogo is just like an excuse to get him so Barry Fife can tell him about his yeah. dad, who they lied that apparently he threw the Pan Pacific mm. Championships by dancing his own steps, but it turns out that he didn't throw it because he was convinced not to dance it in the first place so his mum could dance with Thingy Do. Bill Hunter. Yeah. Yeah, Barry Fife. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Barry Otto is amazing. And oh, Barry Otto's so Yeah, he good. does this great dance bit to this sort of remix of a song that Baz Luhrmann put in the film. So, yeah. I mean, the history of the film is that Baz Luhrmann wrote the play with um, Craig Pierce. Who, um, and Craig Pierce has continued to work on the movies with Baz Luhrmann, but they read it while they were students at NIDA, mm. and then they staged it, and Tara Morris, who plays Fran, she actually originally played the role of Fran in the original yeah. play. So it just has all this huge kind of history to it. So the screenplay used to be on the syllabus, um, and then... Yeah, and then last year I was lucky to go and see it on stage again. It was good. It's, oh, it was so much fun. So much fun. They made it really interactive and, yeah, yelling out stuff at the audience oh, and cheering awesome. and so good, so good. So, yeah, it's gone full circle. So there, a lot of the original people who worked on Strictly Ballroom, such as um, Cha-Cha O'Connell, who was the choreographer, he has subsequently always... <coughs> All these always... people have great names. They do. The way, like, they do. They <laughs> do. So he's subsequently worked with Baz Luhrmann on all these other films, as has Craig Pierce, as mm. has Catherine Martin, his wife, mm. who also studied with him at NIDA as well. So it's just been great that he's continued all of these things on and Strictly Borum is just the genesis of but it. He sort of um, also based it apart from his own experience in yeah. dancing was the, the documentary film that's included as a bonus. Yeah, yeah. Have you watched that? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh my god, there's this documentary film made like it looks like in the mid 80s yep. about ballroom dancing and it's like, you know that kind of creepy <laughs> early 80s um, Australian accent that's still sort of almost formal British and people aren't sort of used to engaging with mm, like cameras and media yeah. and stuff as much so they're all like kind of mm. just staring very formally slightly rounded yeah. voice yeah. they all look so creepy and they're mm. in all these they're all doing their outfits. best yeah. like Attenborough yeah. <laughs> oh my god so, and just emphasised by the colour of it as well like there's just so oh. the do- and, and so then he took that into it when he made the film the film's kind of set out in a little bit of a mockumentary two style. of the kids are like is the name like Tina and yeah. Scott you know yeah. when he's looking in the mirror and yeah. oh my god it's painful yeah yeah and so Scott's mother is based on like a lot of the characters that you see in that original documentary and Baz Luhrmann actually grew up on the north coast of New South Wales I think just Evans Head or around near there and his and his parents ran a uh, a service station Mm. so he used to put on shows at the service station or write things and stuff like that so a lot of his material is from interacting with those types of people so he's just had such an amazing life and upbringing so 
But yes, yeah, so, so it's the, so strictly Borum is truly the genesis of the Baz Bible. In order to appreciate and understand the rest of Baz Luhrmann, oh, yeah. you've got to understand the genesis. Everything, especially that first three, which is the Red Curtain yeah. trilogy, had, trilogy yep. has to be viewed in context of the yep. first one. Yeah, exactly. So it is truly the start. Having not seen Strictly Borum, is there anything else we should add before we move to the next? No, I, I feel like I understand mm-hmm. what the movie is about. Yeah. You've explained that to me. And it sounds I, like, it sounds really sappy rom com but it's actually really funny mockumentary. Yeah. yeah. It's really well done. Yeah. I'm just like picturing this weird like pastiche of like Greece footloose and like i don't know something else mashed in together it's not as earnest as any of those movies yeah. if anything but it's like grease and footloose meets spinal, spinal tap. tap yeah yeah and a little bit of like best in show yeah and totally. a mighty winds like those types of styles of yeah. documentaries thrown in so yeah it's it's, it's like it was the original Toddlers and Tiaras. Yeah, yeah. It's just all that mixed in, all that goodness, and everyone's just really orange. Yeah. Mm. Oh, my God. The tans and the yeah. costumes are insane. Yeah. Like, everything. Oh, like Barry Fife's face is just so, so red and yeah. that toupee. And yeah. Like, yeah. everything is just so heightened and weird and overdone. Mm-hmm. And that's why Fran's family with the kind of the backyard yeah. the Spanishness just, just seems earthy and grounded yeah. in comparison. Yeah. Oh. yeah. I wanted to move into a house simply because I thought it had a similar feel to their house <laughs> and because the tra- train ran behind it. And I liked the idea that I could try and recreate those Spanish dance scenes. And I spoke to my husband about the idea <laughs> of about putting a coca-cola sign up at the oh back my God. and like set up all these chairs and bar and maybe tweet Catherine Martin and Baz Luhrmann to see if they'd come over and have a barbecue <laughs> and set out our backyard to replicate Strictly Ballroom. I like oh. that you come up with just like, I come up with all these creepy ideas and everyone's going to be like, what? I'm glad you agree. Well, this yeah. is probably of no surprise to listeners, but, um, and also to you, but, uh, when I did live in Newtown, I used to like, well, I, I like to think that when I looked out into that back lane that was behind my house, that some of those um, houses across the road, those roofs, could have been the roofs from uh, the cover of Alley Day. Oh, yeah. No surprise <laughs> yeah. to them. Yeah. yeah. That was kind of the selling point of the house. And yeah. how long before we made a UMI reference? <laughs> we lasted about 27 minutes. Okay. That's All pretty right. good. That's pretty that's, good. Mm. I feel we're Restraint. getting better. Yeah. We're not ramming things completely off topic <laughs> straight away. Exactly. Yeah. We but did maybe, all that before the podcast started. Well, no, we, we didn't really because yeah. we heard the magical story yeah. about Miss Morissette <laughs> and that really made both our days. It really did. And yeah. it's now the through line for this episode. <laughs> oh, exactly. Because Miss Morissette is... presents movie time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you should just be dropping that into <laughs> things like it's in. an official. Oh yeah. my God. Imagine the callers you'd get. If, that, if I changed the opener to that. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Oh my God. It would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, only two more things before we move on to the next movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was amazed that it was pre-product placement. They had to pay to use the Coke sign. Mm-hmm. Like they couldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you actually had to pay Coca-Cola to use yeah. the Coke sign. Also, when just my favorite part in the movie, this tiny bit of a favorite part, mm-hmm. is when... 
Scott's family find out that there's a possibility he might be dancing with Tina Sparkle. His yeah. little brother yeah. almost shits his pants. He's so excited. <laughs> he's, so he's doing excited. these moves. Ah! And I'm like, what little like ten year old boy is that excited about yeah. his brother dancing with Tina Sparkle? Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I still think my ultimate is the Spanish dance scenes. Oh yeah. Like that they're just amazing and, and that whole connection and when he's like bumping on the chest, like yes. you know, just like feel the rhythm, feel the rhythm and Oh my god. So you're getting that? Like you're feeling the yeah. It's like beating on the chest. Pasa and, doble. Yeah. Oh, I feel like I've just had like a revelation as well. Um, I think maybe the reason why I was not into anything like this was because um, my sister did like a lot of dancing as a child yeah. and I used to just get dragged around to yeah. her dancing. Yeah. Well, then you'd so, find this pretty so yeah. funny. So yeah. I think I was just like so annoyed about mm. being dragged from place to place to yeah. watch like dancing and things a bit like that Yeah, that I just felt repelled mm. by things that I thought were somehow related to that sort of scene. Mm. Yeah. I think in hindsight then you would find this really funny. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so many levels, so many levels of access for you into this film, into oh, the Genesis. Easy. So moving on, what mm-hmm. we were talking about before at the start of the podcast, the school, high school Australian link to Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm. is that it was pretty much on, on the curriculum like everybody in high school mm-hmm. studying English yep. that was doing Romeo and Juliet had to yep. watch that movie pretty much and I can remember pretty much for me Baz Luhrmann films came about at a real pinnacle life moments for me oh, yeah. so I, I can't really remember so I would have been about nine or so when Strictly Ballroom came out on film I think I went back to it after experiencing Romeo and Juliet and came to appreciate it. I would have seen it at the time, but mm. not walked away with the thing. But Romeo and Juliet came out when I was in year nine, the year that we were doing Romeo and Juliet. No way. And we, so it was big. It was big. And you got to remember, he followed, um, Romeo, well, Romeo and Juliet followed Titanic. So he was already the ultimate heartthrob, Leonardo, he Leonardo DiCaprio. He being wow. he being Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio. Yeah, came out after Titanic. Yeah. Wow. Actually, maybe it was the other way no. around. Yeah. Maybe Romeo and Juliet was the boy. I saw Titanic on New Year's Eve, yes, 1999. Yes. Now remember, then sorry. This came out in sorry. seven six. This came in ninety seven. Yeah. Sorry, I just remembered because I saw Titanic three times. Yeah. And it was in the. Christmas holidays of 1997 yeah. with the guy that I dated for two weeks. Ah. So, yes. So, sorry. Apologies. That's okay. The other way around. So, he was building up to be this massive, you know, heartthrob. Yeah. I think that was his first, like, mainstream yeah. exposure. He'd done a lot of movies that have yeah. been more adult or fringe. Yeah. But... And Claire Danes, had she started seeing Ben Lee then? I thought she saw Ben Lee after so, that. It might have been after, but it might have been as a result or something. It was not too long afterwards that she started to yeah. see Ben Lee. Yeah. So it was a brief period in which Claire Danes was like teen heartthrobby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and we all, so everyone in my English class and a couple of the other English classes at school in combination with some other schools went and watched Romeo and Juliet. And we'd had, most of us had already seen it at the movies, but yeah. then we went and saw it again at, 
Kensington Cinemas in town in Hunter Street, mm. which is now just this weird closed up Xanadu mm. club <laughs> that no one actually like uses. Yeah. And so we saw it there and it was just this amazing experience to be able to watch that, which we'd already already seen, but it was like, wow, like Shakespeare is cool and well, Romeo and Juliet is played by Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Dane, so it was huge revelation. In 2015, that kind of concept is a bit naff now, but nothing yeah. had really been done no. like that at the time. Yeah, so they were talking Shakespearean, but they were in modern civilization yeah, modern and garb, settings. Modern times, there it was, was like music, setting. There was, you know, straight away from word get go, there was really fast camera angles and the acid it was violent. Yeah. So you're just sitting there going, I don't remember the note that was sent out for us to go to because the majority of us were about fourteen. Yeah. Like the note had to go into explicit detail and be like, you know, there are drug references in the film. There are this, there are that and we were like, Oh my god, we're going to the movies to see this Now the kids would just be like, Oh yeah, whatever no, yeah. I saw that when I was one. Yeah. So yeah, it's it was full on. I feel like the one thing that I do really remember about that movie is, is not so much the movie itself, but the soundtrack to that movie. Yes. Yeah. It was a pretty like good mix of different types of songs. Yeah. yeah. And Love Fool by Cardigan. Uh, Radiohead. Radiohead talk show yeah. host. Yep. That Young was really Hearts good. Run Free remixed. And sure uh, was there were. was some yeah. garbage on there as yeah, well. Some garbage yeah. Number on one crush might yeah. have been on there. And yeah. uh, Everclear, Local God. Yeah, yeah, totally. It was a good soundtrack. And yeah. it wasn't on the soundtrack, but the closing credits was um, exit music for a film yeah. by Radiohead as well. Yeah. yeah. Which is like possibly one of the most depressing songs ever. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. I guess it sort of suits. You should the, really the movie, watch though. this movie. I feel like you're. Oh, I actually think I might have seen this one. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty just... badass, actually. Mm, it's it not is. like. It's it's not, not like strictly ballroom. It's pretty badass. I'm pretty sure I have seen it, but like I don't want to say for sure I have because mm. Mm. I figure if I don't really remember, then I feel I like prefer to go with not seeing it. Mm. You know how when you watch Citizen Kane, you get all the Simpsons references that have ever been. Mm. Um, I feel like if you don't know the reference already, when he, like Homer falls down the stairs and he's looking for Mr. Burns's bear and he sees him through the fish tank and he's like. <gasps> Where did we get these fish? That's that's like one of the key scenes in Romeo yeah. and Juliet, that exact reference. So that is what I think of every time I think of Romeo yeah. and Juliet. Yeah, now. it's like this where iconic iconic scene of all of a sudden where they those star-crossed lovers see each other for the first time across the room, but Lumen does it, not Baz, sorry, Bazan does it across Baz the fish tank. Lemon. So you have yeah Claire Danes's reflection and you have Leonardo DiCaprio's reflection staring in at each other and there's these fish going through and it's just a yeah it's a oh, it's totally. the the iconic moment out of that film and I think it's really one of Leonardo DiCaprio's like real images of him in that fish tank I think oh, it's massive yeah. yeah yeah oh man it kind of reminds me of like he is a great actor yeah. Like, as well as... Like, he's one of those people that matched up with being a teen heartthrob and a really talented actor. Yeah, yeah. And there's lots of really fantastic quality Shakespearean actors who went through RADA. Pete Throsselfate, who plays the apothecary. Just can just highlight the fact that he's... Pete Postlethwaite playing, playing the, the apothecary. Yeah. I can't even yep. bother to say that slow. Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah, so he plays the priest 
And yeah, and he, yeah, it's just, and John the Luke apothecary. Was, was and, yeah, is in yeah, it. Yeah. He's amazing. And he's amazing. And he comes back again in Moulin Rouge. He does. As he's Toulouse. Even more amazing than that. So, yeah, it's just, and yeah, lots of, lots of really, when you sit there and you go, oh, that person, that person, that person, a lot of them are real rada trained yeah. Shakespearean actors. And, oh, he just, he plays around with the genre crazy in it. Yeah. And the music. You know, I I fell in love with it as well, and I can remember they there was like a because he used to bring things out like he'd have the he'd have the movie and then he'd re- release volume one soundtrack mm. and then he'd release volume two soundtrack mm. and sometimes he would even release another album that had remixes. Yeah. So I can remember around '98 time there was he brought out this other one that came between Romeo and Juliet Moulin Rouge called Something for Everybody mm. and it was a mix of remixes and mismatch from Strictly Boring, Romeo and Juliet and songs that would later be used in Moulin Rouge oh that's cool mm. you don't have that do you yes I do can I have a listen to that yeah totes oh man I've never yep. heard of that yeah oh that's awesome and the controversy was because skipping forward slightly but oh, he, I think this is the most linear episode we've done in <laughs> ages. Serious, <laughs> this serious, we are on track. We had the Baz Bible. We haven't gone way off topic. <laughs> yeah. So just in, with Miss Morris. Yeah. In the 2001 Oscars, the song from Moulin Rouge, "Come What May," was nominated for an Oscar as best original song. However, it ended up being disqualified because it was revealed that the song, although it was originally written was actually intended to be used in Romeo and Juliet. So and it was written earlier than it should have been to be Yeah, to be – so therefore it got put out. Beautiful song, though, and awesome in Moulin Rouge. Oh, we'll get to that. But there we'll is – yeah, but there is, yeah, a sort of remixed version of it on this something for everybody that was, oh, you know, cool. pre-released as well. So, yeah. Oh, I want to hear that. Man. Yeah. Okay, so Romeo and Juliet, totally badass – like that is so many. If you like grew up in the nineties or early two yeah. thousands, all I can think of, much yeah. all I can think about when I think about Romeo and Juliet is like the boys, the boys. That first start bit, and there's like yeah. that service station scene, and it's just like there is no holes barred. It just goes bang into that I real think, aggro thing. I think of that, and then I think of the scene in Zoolander where they're like splashing each yes, other with petrol. Yes, it's just like two complete the two contrasts. scenes just... Yeah. Just... So everyone knows the Romeo and Juliet story. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, yeah, we don't need to go yeah, into any yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. But it's just awesome, well done, fantastic soundtrack, fantastic acting, and again, you know, Craig Pierce worked with him on it and all that. Um, Cha-Cha O'Connell, fantastic. Cha-Cha O'Connell. Choreography, Yeah. Oh, said for best names that are coming out of this. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Moving on. This came out. Oh. Like, this is like oh, in, this, so is this is my favorite. Movie. This is this is my there. favorite of the Baz Bible. It is like okay, so it's got everything you'd want out of those first two movies, refined and tightened, and it is amazing. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this? Parts of it. What do you <gasps> know about Moulin Rouge? I know it has. Ewan in it, yeah, like post train spotting and pre Star Wars. No, it would have been about the same time. Yeah, as episode one. Would it? Yeah, because he episode one was ninety nine. Ninety nine, and so, this was two thousand. Oh, yeah, this so came out two thousand one. So. But maybe he worked on it around the same time because they commenced filming on this in nineteen ninety nine at Fox Studios yeah. in Sydney. Oh no, I reckon he would have done it after Star yeah. Wars because the amount of work that would have been done yeah. post, they would have true. filmed it in ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. You're right. But uh. But yeah, that's uh, 
about it. Okay, so first things first. You've, you've ignored like a major person who is here on the oh, podcast. Oh, well, I, I, yeah, well, she's okay. Australia's it is daughter. Yeah, it yeah. is Nicole Kidman in her last truly hot role. Yeah. Like she was... Didn't she do Eyes Wide Shut after that? No, that, oh, that was Eyes before. Wide Shut was before. Before, I, everything after that, nowhere near as hot. Yeah. She was a total babe in this. Yeah, yeah. From from hence onwards, she has really just been a character actor. Yeah. And hasn't ever had the same type of sex appeal that she no. form, formerly no had. No. Oh my God, IMDb trivia-ing, by the way. Apparently, Courtney Love was pretty much like convinced she was going to play the yeah. role of Satine in this movie. Yeah. And she hates Nicole Kidman yeah. still to this day because she took the role. Yeah. Yeah. Can't see nope. that really no. improving uh-uh. Courtney no. Love's situation. Nope. Uh-uh. No. Yeah, nope. I don't know what drug she was taking at that time. One of the many Probably that she takes. Probably the same drugs that she's taking. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. All yeah. right. Would you like to run pointy through the basic plot for Moulin Rouge? Okay. I feel like I'm Carl Pilkington, and like you guys, head <laughs> <laughs> like a fucking orange. <laughs> this is what it feels like. Let it's me like you're let me break explain. it down for you. Yeah, let's okay? break it down. Let's keep yeah, this exclusively in Star you. Wars analogies, and I will understand. <laughs> All right, well, you can do the Star Wars analogies to what I say because I, I might not be able to... Oh, challenge accepted. Yeah. yeah, okay. So we have Nicole Kidman plays Satine, okay? Total Satine is... And also it's set in the Bohemian Revolution 1900. in Paris. Around 1900, 1899, like the cusp of the beginning of the 1900s yeah. in Montmartre. So it refers to the real Moulin Rouge and is inspired by the real Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Okay, so you know the real Moulin Rouge in Paris? Like dance, troupe type thing? Yes, yes. Good, good, good. So basically that and what it was at the time was a place where strippers performed and then men could have their way with them. But Satine is the goddess... Of all of the dances, okay? So she's a dancer and she's a lady of the and night. And she's a lady of the night and she's a singer and she's Satine and she's sensational. She's a triple threat. She's triple threat. Yeah. She's the true yeah. triple threat. The star of the Moulin Rouge. The she, sparkling diamond. The sparkling diamond of the Moulin Rouge. And the way she enters the scene for the first time. <gasps> amaze balls. So anyway. Now what about Obi-Wan? <laughs> Obi-Wan? Alright, so Obi-Wan, Ewan McGregor, he has moved to Paris much to the dissatisfaction of his father to pursue his lifelong dream to be a bohemian writer. Yes, yes, exactly. And he is sits down to start writing his great masterpiece and falls through the floor. I'm going to go through every moment Ooh, of it, but I will. This is very train spotting. Yes. Like, is he actually falling through the floor? Yeah. Or was yeah. He, yeah, he actually not in a... I thought it was some drug no, reference. Not no. Dr- okay. They do come, though. There are oh, drug many. references in that. Yeah. But yeah, then he yeah. comes like, across a troop of Bohemians. Yeah. Bohemians who take him to the Moulin Rouge after they realise that he has this amazing capacity to turn songs in... Into well, masterpieces. They 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 were pretty much just a mess. Like to lose yeah. the track, like based on the actual to lose the track, was trying to create a new show for the Moulin Rouge with them, and they were just all butting heads and coming to blows. Yeah. And yeah. he just went, actually, you know what? This and he since it's okay. They call it a jukebox musical, but I feel like a jukebox musical is when they, you know, like Mamma Mia, where they yeah. shove the songs. Yeah, in. But yeah. this is so much more yeah. than that. It's like it's like postmodern art mm. musical with yeah. just. just Every kind of popular song about love and like 
they, there's a big Children of the Revolution by T-Rex moment and just David every Bowie oh, just, it opens with Nature Boy yeah. fuck it's just amazing soundtrack <laughs> it's and it's all sung within the film and worked in within the story yeah. um, and we'll get to the, the Elephant Love Medley later which yeah, is about just... you know 50 songs worked into one yeah. but um, he turns what they were doing into um, The Hills Are Alive with Sound of Music and when like the close up shot in his face and he sings that mm. you've never heard Obi-Wan Kenobi sing before mm. you've never heard that train spotter sing before and yeah. everyone just like like they did in Romeo and Juliet yeah. for Leo just fell in love with him yeah and so they go to the Moulin Rouge and the idea is that they want to try and sell um, him to Christian is his name to um, they want to sell, yeah, the show. sell sell the show to to More them and so they arrange a secret meeting for Christian and Satine to meet. Because the idea is if Satine likes what he's got to present then she'll tell Harold Zidler, which is actually based yeah. on the actual owner of the Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Played uh, by the amazing Jim Broadbent. Oh my god, and we'll yeah. get to that. Yeah. Um, but she is having a secret meeting at the same time with the Duke, who is there to possibly fund the show mm. that he's there to try and sell. Played by Richard Boxberg, the Australian, and he just does the role. Oh, Richard Boxberg is amazing. Yeah. So basically, there's all this confusion and everything that happens, mistaken identity, blah, blah, blah. Christian thinks that Satine has suddenly, because he has sung, fallen in love with him, but really she's just pretending because she's a prostitute and has to try and convince the Duke. That, and, he, and she thinks that he is the Duke. So there's all this mistaken identity. And there's an amazing scene where both, like, <laughs> oh, I was just like trying to shoehorn in like if we did need to make it a Star Wars reference it's like when Yoda's pretending not to be Yoda but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just a trick I was just shoehorning yeah. uh, like the Duke leaves after the mistaken identity thing and uh, Ewan McGregor Christian is still in the room and he comes out and the Duke comes back to get his hat and he's like oh we're just with the writer writing a scene yeah. and then spectacular spectacular and then the he doesn't believe it and then Toulouse is watching through the window bursts through the window with the troop and then uh, Harold Zidler is watching with his little uh, his little telescope yeah. Like burst in, they they have to present like a spontaneous pitch, which is one of the first kind of yeah. musical. Yeah, I actually kind of think I have seen this now, yeah. like oh perhaps more than once. Like yeah, yeah, because it's it's seeming like mm. relatively familiar. And yeah. Kylie Minogue is the Green Fairy when they drink the absinthe. And yeah, Children of the Revolution's playing, yeah. and Kylie Minogue singing. And, yeah. yeah. Oh my god. So that happens. So they've done the pitch. And the Duke at the end, Duke just suddenly just go, he's captivated because he's instantly fallen in love with Satine. Mm -hmm. And he goes, I think I quite like it. And so all of a sudden he grants the funding to put on this show. So they transform this theatre, this Moulin Rouge, to have this amazing show about the Maharaja. Yeah, it's basically basically a show within a show because Christian writes it about he and Satine falling in love and the Duke being the Maharaja, mm-hmm. her having to appease him and be mm-hmm. with him, this fight between that and Toulouse-Lautrec is the sitar, the magical sitar. I always yeah. speak the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's like an adaptation style show within a show and mm. what is going on in the show is mirrored by what's going on. Yeah. And during, yeah. And during the process of the show and the rehearsing of the show, the Duke realises that 
he has a threat in Christian. Yeah. The Christian wants Satine and Satine possibly might be falling for oh, Christian. Oh, she has fallen for Yeah, she, and she has. Yeah, and so they are completely in love with each other. Behind the scenes, Satine is sick. She's dying. She's, She's like dying. got tuberculosis. She's coughing up blood. Yeah. And so they're trying to hide it from her. So Harry Zidler finds out who's the master, you know, mind of the Moulin Rouge, and he says, we must keep it secret. So he convinces uh, Satine to convince the Duke that she is not in love with Christian, that she is, you know, in love with him. And there's a very interesting scene, which is a like a, like a virgin scene. Oh, my God. With massive amount of dancers and Richard Roxburgh in a chair in ways that I've never, ever seen before. That is awesome. You have to have to take that in. All choreographed by Cha-Cha O'Connell, of course. And then she abandons it because she realizes I can't sell myself anymore to this man. I I'm in love with, with, yeah. with Christian. And so, you know, the Duke is, you know, furious and wants to kill Christian. Zidler so is worried to, that oh. he's yeah, going to lose his fortunes. So Zidler says to Nicole Kidman, Satine, you're dying. And yeah. you know, so surely the, she knew she was dying. No, she, she just no. thought she was sick. Blood. She, she just thought she was dying. sick because they were like hiding everything from her. Because she was. How can they huge... hide it from her? It's happening to her. Well, no, she's sick with coughing up blood, but she knew she was dying. Because the, the, if the I was medical... coughing up blood, I would think I was dying. She's quite naive. Medical knowledge wasn't really. Yeah. As... Anyway, they yeah. they didn't. Yeah. The doctor didn't tell her. Yeah. She told... I feel like in that time, in that era. You're more likely to believe you're dying if you were coughing up blood. No, than, I do. Like today, you'd be like, "Oh, well, I can probably get that treated." I think they even hid a lot of the times when the blood, when she coughed up the yeah, blood, they like move it away from her, and they'd be like, yeah. "Oh, looking at each other, like, oh, there's blood on the handkerchief." So they went to Not great efforts to conceal it from okay. her. So then, yeah. So then they, yeah, you're ruining the magic. You're ruining the magic. Of this is by your questions, movie. your annoying just, logic. I was just trying to get an understanding of okay. the movie and right. get involved. Okay. Well, it's all about love and you know. Yeah, logic we don't need. We don't need to go through finishing yeah. the plot. But yeah. Oh, the like a virgin scene with Jim Broadbent and Richard Roxburgh is yeah. amazing. Yeah. And. Roxburgh, not Roxburgh, well, yeah, he yeah. is, but um, Broadband in the whole thing mm. is the absolute standout of yeah. the show. Like, apparently his voice was dubbed like, yeah. by an opera singer. He was but, the only voice out of all the actors that was actually dubbed. Like, singing voice, mm. but his speaking voice and his acting mm. was just, just yeah. fucking amazing. Yeah, it was so awesome. But, uh, yeah, we won't ruin the ending for you to work out, you know, what, you know, actually happens. But... It's very emotional, it's very big, it's very dramatic. And again, Baz with his massive quotes, the magical sitar player saves the moment by saying, the greatest thing you will ever learn is just to love and be loved love in return. return. And it changes everything. Him uttering, uttering that line. Changes everything. At, the, at that right moment. It's the, it's the moment where Scott's dad yells, you know, yeah. the life lived in fear is the life yeah. half lived. It's yeah, that it's moment. that moment again. Parallels in Rouge. Yeah. Um, but the music is the hugest thing. Have you heard the Come What May single, which came out in like early 2000s? Come What May. Yeah. Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor singing a song. Mm. It's all mm. on TV everywhere. And he also sang your song as well, so he did a remake of the Elton John song. Yeah, yeah, because that mm. was a huge part of the early mm. scenes as well. Yeah. Um, Come What May was like a huge single in high huge, school. Huge, huge, Like, I was still in high school at that yeah. point. So this came out for me when I was 
in first year of uni in yeah. 2001 doing a drama degree. Perfect timing. Perfect so it was just timing. like, hello, life. Hello, everything. This is... This is my meaning. This is what, you know, I didn't necessarily aspire to be an actor, but it just embedded in me that whole creativity, that whole flair. Had a group of uh, friends where the Lady Marmalade soundtrack, like song when that came out. Oh we my all God, had that single was too big for its own good. Yeah, so we had different personas. So like someone would be the Christina Aguilera, someone was the Maya, someone was the Pink, someone was the Lil' Kim, which is the four singers in it. And we used to reenact scenes from the movie and the songs on video just because that's what you did. It was Moulin Rouge and... Yeah. It was a huge yeah. show. It yeah. was a huge movie. Yeah. So it was in my first semester of my first year of uni and it kind of just showed me that there wasn't really a limitation to creativity. And no. I think that, and I think it just embedded so much more deep my love for Baz Luhrmann. And I think so. the fact is that, you know, he's an Australian director as well. He came from stage to film. And the fact that it, it is just mm. so huge and overblown yeah. but never tacky and yeah. never... Yeah. It was nominated for a lot of Oscars a year later, but didn't win many. Like so one costume. Costume, and... so Catherine Martin again, which is, you know, extremely well-deserved. Nicole Kidman should have got the Best Actress Award for it. Yeah, she was amazing. Uh, right? And it should have got Best Film, and it should have got Best Director. But sadly, it didn't get those. So Baz Luhrmann has never really necessarily been treated that kindly at the Oscars. Because he is like Scott. He wants to dance mm. his own flashy, popular, crowd-pleasing yeah. steps, not yeah. the Oscar-pleasing steps. Yeah. But the soundtrack is amazing. So good. So amazing. And so many... It was a real beginning... I mean, Romeo and Juliet, a lot of artists came on board and collaborated with Baz. But in this one, like the he had to like kick people back because so many artists heard about the project and were like, I want to be part of it. And they had to when clear, you think of like they Bowie, clear so many yeah, songs. Like you think Bowie, Elton John, Rodgers and Hammerstein for Sound of Music, like the types of things that they got away with if we're doing with the songs. Nirvana, and it just, you know, yeah, it just made everything, T-Rex. all those songs come back into, you know, popularity but again. The Elephant Love Medley, which is like the comp, they wanted to write this big love song and they couldn't write anything that really fit. And they went, we want it to be like this list of songs. Yeah. And they kind of went, oh, what? let's try and write a medley of these songs. And it, like I can't sing "I Was Made for Loving You" without putting the lovely feline in it. Yeah, and like all like my entire knowledge of those songs mm. stems from that. No, not stems <laughs> from that. I knew most of those songs, mm. but it's like they now are tainted in a different yeah. way. Like, when they when he put them all together and created that song, it was just like, yeah. how have those words and those lyrics and those artists just not come together before? Because you yeah. hear it, you just hear that song, you just go. And it starts with it's like the most amazing ballad, and, yeah. Oh, it's the best thing in the world. And that's and that's when Satine falls in love with Christian when yeah. he sings that to her. I fell and I, I fell in love with Christian, and yeah. Yeah. And have and have since. And Nicole Kidman broke my heart that she was just just didn't do anything great afterwards because yeah. her in that movie. She did oh the hours, God. which was really good, eh, but that's about eh. it. Yeah. She yeah. didn't like flick her red hair around. No. 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 That's all I and wanted. She practical in... magic after that. Uh, no, she did practical magic before that. Didn't yeah, she? I think she did practical magic in ninety nine. Yeah, that's different. But she injured herself so much in this mm. film, so she broke her ribs, she hurt her ankle, she did everything. And when you see 
the types of stuff mm-hmm. she did in the film you can completely understand and when they're actually in the red elephant and on the top of the red elephant they had to wear harnesses yeah because it was so high up because they built this whole massive set in Fox Studios in Sydney. Yeah. And there's some amazing scenes of when they're doing the Elephant Love medley. Baz Luhrmann really pioneered a lot of stuff that has happened now in musicals since. Yeah. Where he made the actors sing live on camera. So even though he didn't use those versions in the film, there's something he made them sing live. Because their expressions and their muscles and yeah. their face and their breath yeah. so, matches. So there's something really unique about that. Have you seen And the, there's one sorry. there's one scene of where he's like sort of coaching and talking through during the Elephant Love medley. And Nicole Kimmon and um, Ewan McGregor are so close together and Baz Luhrmann's like right in there as well. And you can see that it's just like this really weird love triangle that just worked amazingly. Um, have you seen the remake of Annie? Like the no. Black, black Annie? Blaney? Yeah. Um, that's, that's okay to say, right? You can say Blaney. You've said it. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's out there in the world now. That version of that movie, like, it, it just it feels completely lifeless because the recordings mm. just feel so like they've been recorded close mic and then really compressed and there's no effort to make mm. it feel real. Yeah. And it's like there's 10 children singing walking down the street in New York and it honestly feels like you're just listening to a hip hop record. Yeah. There's no atmosphere or mixing within the scene. And that's yeah. kind of what I hate about some kind of modern musicals that don't yeah. go to that yeah. length See, I make quite, it feel real. Yeah. See, I quite like the new version of Les Mis because, again, the director on that chose to go the controversial way like Baz Luhrmann did but made them sing live yeah. and recorded them live yeah. and used that as the actual background. So he went a step further than what Baz Luhrmann did and everyone was like, oh, my God, you're amazing. You've revolutionised musical theatre. And I was just like, well, that's well, Lumen did back yeah. in 2001. So let's give a little bit more credit to him. So, And they talk <sighs> a lot about Robert Marshall doing Chicago yeah. with Renee Zellweger and Catherine Zeta-Jones. All of these musicals that have happened in the last 10... 14 years yeah. are because Baz Luhrmann did Moulin Rouge. It would have been around about the same time as Moulin Rouge. Though. Yeah, oh, a couple of years later. It's yeah, about a, two, three years later. Yeah. yeah. It made it important for it to match the feeling, not just yeah. the look and the sound. It was the feeling of it and it had to feel organic. But I think the thing that really made me connect with and be okay about Moulin Rouge was that there's an Australian playwright called Louis Nauer who I studied a lot when I was at school. Mm. And he talked about saying that as as an actor and he wrote a lot of straight plays he said he would use music and singing a lot in his plays and he said because singing is truly the only time where an actor can detach from themselves and truly express emotion yeah. he believed and he said and that's why operas are so blah 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 and I was like oh okay that's, that's interesting. Really interesting so then when I've seen films like Moulin Rouge and they've gone to that effort of integrating music as Baz Luhrmann does I go ah so that's like an extension of that idea when they're singing certain things and feeling that they're actually communicating emotion at such a higher level so yeah I found that yeah very deep so I went maybe that's why I went to it so much because I was quite influenced by what he said and couldn't really see it but then when I saw this I was like oh this is all about putting emotion into song yeah Mm. and look studying that kind of yeah. stuff in film theory and English and that mm. kind of thing. You know, you just you 
get a sense that he was taken incredibly seriously in some respects, maybe yeah. not by the Oscars, but yeah. people started to think more deeply about what an Australian filmmaker was mm. putting together. Yeah. Other than, pretty, you know, that wasn't Peter Weir. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So suddenly they're like, oh, we can talk about other films apart from Gallipoli. Yeah, pretty or much. Or Blues, Picnic you know. Hanging Rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like we have another director apart from Bruce Beresford oh and Peter God. Weir. What? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it was pretty big. Okay, so anything yeah. else you want to add to Moulin Rouge? No, except that you should really make sure that you've watched it and rewatch it and, and love it and take care <laughs> of it and never speak badly I never of like it. it. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Although one thing that – can I speak badly of just yeah. for a second? Yeah. Oh, One careful. thing that really bugs me mm. – is that perfect scene where they do the crane shot from the elephant out and Nicole Sidman, Sidman, Sidman <laughs> Nicole Kidman sitting on the top of the elephant yeah. and it's crane shot out. Yeah. The shot shakes. Ah, oh, see. Have I... you ever noticed that? No. Watch I'll it again. The it. crane shot will do this, like shake, 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 shake as it comes out. And oh. it must have been because it was such an expensive shot that oh, they couldn't reshoot it or something else, but. Yeah. It's really odd. Okay. It's That's really strange. strange that they would have left that in. Yeah, that is weird. That but everything is else weird. is amazing. And the love melody is the, the elephant love melody is the mm. best thing. Yeah. It's really, oh. really good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right. That's the Red Curtain trilogy. Done. Yeah. Done. So it's like, that's Old Testament. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've covered that, and we're going a little bit now into the New Testament and Basilum, and which well, thematically those three are the same. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like love and yeah. bloodshed. Yeah, and... yeah, and so in between this, so his like gap year, I guess, was he did a lot of stuff overseas. So he directed musicals. So he did La Bohème in on Broadway mm. and so he, he experimented with some different art forms as well so but yeah so from now onwards we go into a time where he's a little bit more he's people are much more critical towards him so and I think yeah I don't know like Red Trilogy for me is my Basil Ehrman yeah I have a few I I can I can like um, one of these and love the other, but it will never have the same place in my heart as no, the No, but that's also time and place for yes, you. Yes, well. exactly. Yeah. But also because it was they were thematically similar, yes. they all starred breakout, you mm. know, roles for people that had never done that kind mm. of thing before. And oh and Tara Morris who plays Fran has a cameo role at the, the start, start of yeah. Moulin Rouge. The Frozzy yeah. The so there's the continuation yeah. again. So you've got to keep out for those. That's a fun thing to watch as you go along. Oh, totally. Mm. And, okay, I've never seen Australia. Wow, okay. Because I was so off-put when it came out by the yeah. bad news of it. I, yeah. just went, I don't know if I want to invest my time yeah. in that. Have you seen this? No, I have not. And for much the same reason. Outbacky, and I'm not a huge, like, outbacky, farmy, filmy kind of It was more person. the duration of that movie. It the is idea a that it, All I heard was overblown, went for too long. Yeah. And I was like... Yeah, doesn't really mm. sound like something I want to watch yeah. then. Basically, when I was high school teaching, because I taught history, we would joke to say that the whole year 9 and 10 Australian history course is pretty much encompassed in that film. That's how massive it basically covers. covers a huge kind of thing. So it's starting pre-war, um, pre-Second World War, and covers bombing of Darwin 
and the Ooh. aftermath. So it's that kind of period of time. So that real kind of late 1930s going into 1940s outback yeah. changes like so much about Indigenous Australia, so much about women in Australia, so much about agriculture, so much about multiculturalism. So it's like this huge, huge range of things. And I but think coming from someone who just did splashy musical is totally different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And people tried to compare it, and they said it's Baz's Ben Hur, like it's this epic on a grand scale so Nicole Kidman actually got pregnant while she was making this film and that's because and she'd never been able to conceive yes she'd never been able to conceive when she was with Tom Cruise surprise surprise and sometimes things do happen for good reasons pretty much and they can't impregnate people no belly buttons yes exactly so yeah she during the making of the film she went um, bathing in this in this spring out in the outback, which was known for fertility, and she fell pregnant. Wow! So that's another kind of like side note about that. Um, but it's got amazing indigenous actors in it. The kid who plays the young Aboriginal boy in this is outstanding, and he's he's the highlight of the film. He like carries it um, on his shoulders. There are criticisms about it's not my it's my least favourite of the five but because it goes just so the far. Name as well, like it's how audacious to call something. Yeah, Australia. it's like it, the other movies they have a name, you get an idea of what the yeah. movie is about. Yeah, yeah. But what, what does Australia mean? The movie cannot yeah. be. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know if the I'm current, being too literal When you here. watch it... In the current climate, yeah. the government and the people don't really know what Australia means. Yeah, no, no well, one At least knows. we can't yeah. agree. Yeah. So, when you watch it, you can kind of go, oh, yeah, that works. You buy into that it's called that. Uh, but it is a massive just tourism ad for Australia, Australia completely. And I can remember when it came out, Oprah Winfrey was all over it and talking about it for years on her show. And was that when she came out? Then? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it was all around that time. So basically they were running all these competitions for Americans to experience Australia. So, yeah, it was it was weird. It was a weird departure for Baz Luhrmann. It was like the but, Crocodile Dundee-style yeah, American obsession with Australia. Yeah, and I don't know if he bent to pressure or or something, but, I mean, there are a lot of his stylistic elements in the film. Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. There's other actors who have appeared in things before, a big Australian cast. Also, who'd have thought that Baz Luhrmann would use Hugh Jackman in a film and not mind his musical theatre past? What a missed opportunity. Very missed opportunity. Just made... I mean, actually, I think the film did a lot of favours for Hugh Jackman, particularly in the States. Like, he already had a huge profile, but it made him even more this massive sex symbol. Mm. Because it really, you know, well, really keyed on to that. Well, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so probably... the fact that he didn't sing and dance in it, or he wasn't, he didn't have, you know, like, knives coming out of his wrists or his fingers, so... So it was yeah. probably more a hit overseas than it was here because yeah. purely it's almost cultural cringe. Yeah, yeah. And there's and that was a lot of the criticism about it at the start. It was like, oh, that's cliche. Oh, that's cliche. That, oh, that's cliche. The cover does kind of look like a bad telly movie. Yeah, and it has that... It's The idea is it's supposed to have that retro feel like of the 1930s. Like, you can see all the lettering and the font yeah, and the styles and the things that are used and everything. I think so. it is because we... It's a cultural cringe thing, you know. We yeah. come from here, though. Yeah, yeah. So it's... Yeah, it's something that was a bit of a weird time. It's worth watching because yeah. it is a well-made film and some of the performances in it are really good. But it won't go down, I think, as one of his legacies. It had an intermission. 
Yeah. I think it was his attempt to throw back to a certain period of style. Gone with the wind. Gone with the wind, the Australian version. And it works, but I just don't think it it resonated with audiences. Mm. So I think it could probably, maybe people come back to an X amount of time and go, wow, actually there's a lot that's really good about that. Yeah, in hindsight, outside of cultural. I guess it's that that challenge where you make a a couple of things that you think you're making largely for yourself for your own artistic reasons and it does, for whatever reason, resonate with people at the right time. Yeah. Then you start to think, oh, well... Yeah. This will be the same. Yeah. Like, I can do anything. Because, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you would get that yeah. sort of exactly. bravado. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, and I then maybe it doesn't work yeah. out. I really like it. Like, I enjoy watching it. Um, not as much as the other ones. My mother is obsessed with it because she's obsessed with Hugh Jackman. Okay. So every single time Hugh Jackman appears on the screen with his shirt off, she's like, oh. but yeah, I think, and that's the thing. I just don't think Australians appreciate epic films about their own country or culture it's like something i think a lot we... of things about their own culture yeah. though, in terms of media and art yeah. that's why we don't have the same kind of film making culture here yeah. that other countries do yeah. internationally because it's of an internal cultural cringe so it's forcing another country's style or genre of film that traditional american epic or english epic onto an Australian audience about something that's really quite sensitive to them, their history. And I think there was just a huge clash. And there was just that not understanding. It's like, oh, actually, Australians don't like big epic films about the bombing of Darwin. They don't really want to see that. They want to yeah. see edgy films like Candy and and other films that he's, you know, done in, you know, certain styles. Okay, so moving on from Australia, yes. because most people did. Yep. Uh, to the last film in the canon, because he's still obviously got to be making films, yes. but he's focusing on theatre at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Great Gatsby. Yes. So Great Gatsby, based on the book Great Gatsby, set in that whole era of complete Art Deco 1920s America. It'd be real awkward if you just didn't realise there was a book called Great Gatsby and made it all up. <laughs> and you were like, oh! Oh dear, awkward. Oh dear, Toad's Momo. So it was filmed in Sydney and there were a lot of production dramas about it because it was filmed on this waterside beautiful mansion and Basil brought all this international cast over to film. Leonardo DiCaprio returns to do this after he's obviously gone on to do heaps of other stuff in the meantime. Mm. But it rained every day. So that was okay when they were doing internal scenes, but even how the light would go through the house, and there's so many outdoor scenes if you've seen the film. So they eventually had to end up relocating it back to the States, I believe, um, to do other scenes, and so they lost a lot of money because... Yeah, they there was so much you know reshooting and production that was changes huge and everything. Media. Surely they made it back. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they did because they did massively. Because after this happened, everyone was just like, "Oh, 1920s is cool again." Vintage, 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 vintage. You know, yeah, it just it went off. I, I really, really liked it. I yeah. came in expecting not to like it. Yeah, I think I, a lot of people did. I think people went, "Oh, Australia." And then, then that, and we're just like, oh, what's he going to do with this other American classic story, yeah. which is epic? But he went back to his, particularly his Romeo and Juliet roots. Well, it says here on the 
cover for the yeah. director of Romeo and Juliet and Moulin Rouge, yeah. not, not Australia. Australia. It was Strictly yeah. Born, the two more classic Australian yeah. films. I think American audiences didn't like it as much because it's an American story and they felt a bit violated that this Australian director had come and had taken one of their classic like stories. Like what he did with Australia. So it was like a role reversal almost. Yeah. But... Yeah, I, I mean, he goes back to his roots with the music. Also visually, it's yeah. amazing visually. Yeah. yeah, so the cinematography, again, the choreography. It's an insanely good-looking yeah. movie. Yeah, and the costumes, design, like Catherine Martin. Oh, like she – it's just the best depiction of the 1920s yeah. recently. So it's just – and so much throwback oh, to – Oh, Maguire's in it. Yeah, just so much – throwback to the films from the 1920s, 30s, 40s so much Also slightly to... like Romeo and Juliet with a little bit of modern thrown in yeah. in terms of it's like it's set in that time but the production elements weren't you know scaled back to fit that time the production elements yeah. were purely yeah. modern But DiCaprio's amazing in it He's amazing in it, he's yeah. like yeah. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's a good. superstar, like yeah. an actual superstar. Yeah. yeah, like he is incredibly talented he's incredibly good looking, he's rich, he's famous he's all the things you would want in mm. an actor he's like the Marlon Brando of today. Yeah, yeah Isla Fisher's in it randomly um, Isla Fisher. Yeah, Joel Edgerton ah. you know, Jeez. Carrie Mulligan yeah, it's Carrie Mulligan plays this really unlikable character in it towards the end and you just go, oh, you yeah. bitch. Like, she's just, yeah. Just like Romeo and Juliet that it pushes boundaries. And and those party scenes in the house and the, the fireworks in the yeah. background, the fountains and the crazy shit going on, it's it's almost Romeo and Juliet-esque yeah. in those party scenes. Yeah, because... it's taking... Because, yeah, like Romeo and Juliet did the modern spin on the medieval and the medieval doing the spin on the modern, so it's mm. this real kind of postmodern weird thing going on. And he's done exactly the same thing with Gatsby, that it's like, wow, this is the 1920s, but it feels like if you were there now, it would be really cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's completely fashionable. I loved it. Yeah. Oh, so good, good soundtrack. Oh, yeah. and the double soundtrack thing again. Like, mm. you put the initial one out, and it had, like, Beyonce and Hoo-Ha yeah. and Duda and... Mm. I don't know. I just, I just stopped you saying You just that. wanted to say that. <laughs> yeah. And then he put out, like, the yellow cocktail soundtrack version of all the jazzy songs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that real kind of whole idea. And Tobey Maguire kind of plays that Spider-Man role in it, that kind of weird, nerdy, out of place. Yeah, exactly. Like, he plays this, I'm out of place, but I'm trying to find my way in, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so from all these movies, what I've... Clean. What seeped into my consciousness? I feel like this was... has all just been a massive tutorial. For yeah, you, really. Radio. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was trying to talk about superhero movies tonight, Moose. So I didn't bring it up. She no. did. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, there seems to be like a um, underlying, I guess, message, mm. if you will, to each of these films. So, should we recap those messages? What are the underlying messages? Well, I. Like, what, what, have I you, what have you learned? Well, what I took out of it. Was... So starting at the beginning, like you got flashcards. Yeah. Okay. Like flashcards. Yeah. Okay. So strictly ballroom. Strictly ballroom. I took out of it that be yourself. It can be better. Don't listen to what people tell you because your idea could be great and grand, and just do it if you love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The life yeah. lived in fear is the life half lived. Do yeah. your own thing. Yeah. 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 I mean that's a much more eloquent way to say it, but be I think I said hey, the same thing. Yeah. I was just quoting the movie, by the way. Yeah. That was the, the key oh, yeah, tag. Yeah, I, I get, tag. I, I get that. Yeah. 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 Romeo and Juliet. Well, I don't know that there's really a message in that. Like, 
is the message that like love doesn't conquer all. If you're gonna kill yourself because girlfriend's <laughs> like... no, if you're gonna kill yourself because your girlfriend's dead, make sure she's really dead. Is the message that or is yeah. the other way around. looking at people through a fish pond is cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's and I also take fish. that, you know, like Shakespeare, you know, is a different language and everything, but his themes are universal. Yeah. And what he's saying and he connects to this in the Red Trilogies, like the three of them are about love. Yeah, and he's about saying love love goes beyond life, it goes beyond death. So that's my goes, understanding. Love of is it. love is powerful. Goes beyond social boundaries. Yeah. You might get burned. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Goes beyond social boundaries. Yeah, and guns are bad. Like there's a very anti gun kind of idea in that too. Well I know. I don't know if I really got a lesson from what we gleaned there. Say the line. Other than Say the line but the greatest thing you will ever learn is just, just to love and be loved in return. return. Once yeah, again, but, like the first two, it didn't matter about their social status or where they were in life. It mattered. That but they I think I got so other. bogged down on the like the lies and the deception and the people dying that like from the like mm. summary of the movie that message didn't get across. It probably gets across if you're watching the movie, mm. but to hear a summary of it, it didn't really seem like that was the big. Do you need Peter to save the line again? No. <laughs> Do I need to say it like the magic? No, no. I, 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 I've lived to something yeah. with no, love. No. All you need is love. I feel yeah. like it's going to be like some um, torture thing tonight for me, and it's just, I'm just going to be replaying all these comments over and over. Mm. Only speak the truth. Yeah. Australia. Australia. Don't make Australian-based <laughs> movies for Australian audiences. They won't like it. Also, lesson B: Have someone, another pair of eyes, edit your movie for length and content. Yeah, and you know, just hundred and how long? Hundred and fifty-nine minutes is not an appropriate length for a movie. And middle-aged ladies like to look at Hugh Jackman with no shirt on. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Young, and younger la- okay. younger ladies do yeah, also. I'm yeah, I'm okay about it, but I'm not as as gun as gun ho about it, and it yeah. doesn't excuse some of the other things. You know, I think in some cases he takes his shirt off, and it's like others are just like, oh, that forgives everything about the film. Whereas I'm kind of like, look, I'll be distracted for a minute. But then I'm going to focus on that there's issues here. Great Gatsby. Uh, Nothing exceeds like excess. Oh. (laughs) Now who's using fancy words? Wow. He's getting a lesson in Mm. how to, you know, do it best. I'm feeling so so much grander Mm. after this session. The Mm. lesson I took is that Peter hasn't rewatched her copy. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's something... Like Moulin Rouge is probably my... I mean, I vary about. I reluctantly put things as my number one because I do it's vary. But it's in. But it's in it's my peak. Yeah, it's it's in my number five of my ultimate top films, and I don't like. I mean, but I don't watch it twenty or thirty times a year. It's something that I watch, and it's just emblazoned in my brain. Like other films, where I just go. Star Wars. It's just. But that's it's like just the there. document that you would show someone if they like asked you. What's a Baz Luhrmann film? Yeah, that's, oh, yeah. that's what yeah. you would say. Yeah, it's peak out. Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I would show them Elephant Love Medley and be like, bam. Because he's a stage director and he'd gone way beyond stage directing by this point, but he still directed that entire scene, mm. like, as if on stage. Props yeah. and just yeah. no. Yeah. It is peak Baz Luhrmann. It has, like, massive, has everything you want in Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. And massive credit has to be given to Catherine Martin, who has been the designer on every film. So set design, costume design, 
she is just amazing. And even in Australia, you can't fault the costume or the design or anything. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you can. And she has, and she has won Oscars. And I think, you know, unfortunately, I mean, they're both really modest people and they're both really down-to-earth people in interviews. And I think that even makes them more amazing because they're just, they just love what they do There's and a- they're not overly pretentious about it. And it's all about, you know, the visuals. There's a reason people like him and Tim Burton, mm. when you bring up, like, auteurs get mentioned like yeah. that because you know what a Tim Burton film looks like. Mm. You know what... Hell in the bottom car, yeah. right? Like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and sometimes Johnny Depp. Yeah. yeah. A lot of the time. Yeah. Johnny Depp. I'm not yeah. sure which one he married. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. I think that's pretty peak Baz Luhrmann for us. Mm. Like, yeah. That's all of the films. Yeah. And we know he did Strictly Ballroom. I'd love to see Moulin Rouge on stage, but I don't think yeah. that's possible. No, I don't think so. And, I mean, Strictly Ballroom on stage was brilliant. Uh, it, it got a bit of criticism again. But it was it was so much fun. And it mm. was so interactive in every aspect of the auditorium, not just the stage, was again highly influenced by his style and by Catherine Martin's mm. style. And I heard um, and watched a, do- a documentary where he was talking about that what he would do is sit in, during rehearsal, sit in every seat in the theatre to spend time to think about, okay, as an audience member, what's my experience whilst in this yeah. seat? What's my experience whilst in this seat? And if yeah. anything didn't mesh well, then he would completely change stuff yeah. based on just the experience in the different seats. And I just went, that's what makes him so different because he's, he's really... He does the flashy crowd-pleasing stuff. Yeah. He cares about what the, the yeah. audience thinks. And he really, yeah, he really concentrates on the experience. And so that's why when you watch a Baz Luhrmann film from the start even from the interaction like the very you know mgm or you know the line or whatever film it's for from that very moment it's baz luhrmann up until the very last bit of the credits every every bit of film technique is a complete baz luhrmann package Mm. yeah thank you for being on splitting cases we've certainly given pointing education uh you're not only the movie time lady and the Miss Morissette. You also have a blog. Where can people find that? So people can find my blog at peterisms.com. And I complain uh, about things. Peter Isms. So P E Not Peterisms. So P E T A I S M S dot com. And so I complain about things, bitch about things, like about things. You should have heard her before we turned on the podcast talking about ex Miss Morissette winners. Ooh. Oh, so. yeah. No, no, sorted. no, no, no. Yeah. It's a sorted life. Sorted, sorted. Sorted life. Yeah. So it's 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 a little bit of everything that's Peter and basically, yeah. Uh, pointy, if somehow they've come across us without finding all the places you can go find all the things. Uh, splittingcases.com. Has all, all the, the things. things. Just go there. Please.